I'll just take a few moments to bow our heads this morning. Last week we talked about preparation of worship. Are we prepared this morning as we come into the presence of a holy God? Just ask God in your own life to reveal himself to you in a great way. talked last week about preparation be ready to meet God when we come into his house we talked about participating and that's this idea of listening to God are you listening to his voice this morning we also talked about practicing mean what will you say to God what are we vowing to God God I promise I'm going to do this God if you do this I'll do this make sure we mean what we say to God so prepare your hearts this morning as you hear from God's word, as you heard from worship and the songs that we've sung. So Father, we come before you and we are humbled to be called your children. We're humbled to be called your sons and daughters. We are unworthy of this great gift of salvation. But we are so grateful that you've chosen us and called us. And we ask this in your precious name, amen. So this morning we are talking about the power of worship. We talked about the presence of worship. We talked about the preparation for worship. So today we're talking about this idea of the power of worship. See, worship is a celebration. It's a celebration of an experience that we have with God. All of us are here today, if we know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we are here to worship the one who saved us. That's why we're here. This message, I hope, reminds us as we're hearing this message, to an, we're, we're able to show this to an unbelieving world. Our worship should reflect the power that is living inside of us. This power of the gospel that has changed our lives. That's what worship is. It is giving praise and adoration, as we said a few weeks ago, worship to the one who made this all possible. I'd like to use an illustration this morning of the, the Geyser Old Faithful Yellowstone National Park. How many of you have been to Yellowstone National Park? Okay, two of you. <laughs> It's a geological hotbed with hundreds of geysers and hot springs. One of the first stops that you go to is Old Faithful. Old Faithful. It's the most visited hot spring for one simple reason. It's faithful. It's not the prettiest. It's not the highest. But it's faithful because every 80 minutes down to the down to the second, that geyser explodes. Every 80 minutes. See, the national park has built boardwalks and bought, brought, uh, built benches around it so people, the onlookers, can come and see and wait for that moment when it explodes. No doubt, Old Faithful is the center of attraction of Yellowstone National Park. So if those that have been there kind of reminisce with me, the time has come for it to erupt. 
the sputtering happens, and you think, oh, there, there it goes. Nope, it goes back down into the ground. few, a minute or so later, it starts erupting, and cascading waters go 100 feet in the air, and you stand there in awe and wonder. Latecomers are there with their cameras, with their phones, capturing this beautiful, beautiful act of God through creation. There she goes, someone explains. The crowd is spellbound. They're all filled as these dancing waters explode out of the earth. But then it returns back to the earth. And what do people do? Maybe you hear someone saying, that was awesome. Maybe hear a, a brother say to a sister, I can't wait to go back and tell Johnny what we see. Or maybe you will hear someone else say, hey, let's stay and watch it again. Let's wait another 80 minutes and let's see this amazing wonder happen again. See, the sense of reverence that people have when they experience something like this, particularly those individuals who know who made this, the God of creation. But with reverence and with awe, they get back in their car and they witness something that was truly amazing. The power of worship. The, this dynamic should occur when we come to worship a holy, living God. We ought to experience and witness the spectacular hand of the mighty God. See, we're supposed to witness something that's beyond ourselves, something that we are to be in awe of, spellbound, mesmerized of this life-giving, life-flowing power of God. And when we experience that, we are motivated to tell others about this life experience that we had with this encounter with this living God. See, what Old Faithful does to the tourists at Yellowstone, our worship should do for those who worship God in church. As I asked last week, when do we leave church just in awe and wonder of who God is? Just like when we leave Old Faithful and we've seen that, we're mesmerized. Do we leave our encounter with God with that same awe, reverence, and respect? We're in Psalms 40. I want you to circle Psalms 40, verse 3. This is kind of the, the key verse we're going to be focusing on this morning. I'm just going to read it real quick here before we jump into the passage. David says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and hear and put their trust in the Lord. Circle that, that, that 3B. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. We are going to come back to that in the area of our worship this morning. So like we do any particular time we come to the Word of God, we're in Psalms, and we're not going to be going through Psalms, so we want to do a little overview of the book of Psalms for those that are visiting or watching via Facebook. We want to kind of give a little overview of the book that we are in. Well, Psalms has 150 Psalms. I know that because in Christian school, that was always the punishment we had in detention to write out the Psalms. Not all 150 chapters, usually with Psalms 119. And believe me, I hated the book of Psalms by the time I was done school. Not really, but you understand what I mean. 
The book of Psalms is divided. Actually, there's five song books in the 150 chapters of Psalms. So just quickly, this, the, the information's in front of you. Book one is Psalms 1 through Psalms 41. David compiled these Psalms before his death. Book two, Psalms 42 to 72, was most likely added during the era of Solomon. Books three and four, Psalms 73 to 106, were probably collected during the exile. And book five, Psalms 107 through 150, and this was most likely compiled during the time of Ezra. Got, 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 got that? Take a test at the, end of the, at the end of the message so you know that. All right. But very importantly, we're in Psalms 40, which is also another uh, fun fact for us. This, is, this has messianic tones to it, which means we saw what's a messianic passage of Scripture. It references Jesus Christ. References Jesus Christ. So as we look at Psalms 40, Psalms 40 is divided in this way. Verses 1 through 5, David's praise to God. And I, I want you to, to circle that because I, we're going to come back. That David sets an agenda for us in worship when we look at this chapter of Scripture. Verses 6 through 10, it gives the idea that God, he, David gives God all he asked. And verses 11 through 17, we're going to get to in a moment his prayer of forgiveness because of his heart. So based on what we learned a little bit about Psalms, you know where we're jumping into and where we're diving into this morning. Let's begin reading at verse 1, chapter 40 in the book of Psalms. Let's begin. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Now understand that Hebrew word inclined is that idea of bending down and hearing. God is bending down and he's inclined to hear David's cry. Verse 2, he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. The pit of destruction gives this idea in the Hebrew idea, this idea of noisy distraction. So as you study that, in the biblical times, the, the, the pit of destruction actually had a cistern in mind. Now, I don't know if any of us have ever been in a cistern, but it's a, a rock cave in the ground that holds water. And some of them are very big. So there's some that probably are as big as this room in the world. And what happens when water comes down and fills that cistern, you don't want to be in the cistern then, but when you're in that, the noise and the distraction of the noise is just bothersome. And David's saying, this is a pit of destruction. I am distracted. It is noisy. Out of the miry bog has the idea of a wetland. If you have the NIV, if you have the trans NIV translation, it has the word slimy into it. I used to take uh, Mitchell and, and Mason. We used to hike back here behind Pastor Mike's house when we lived in the duplex there. And that land, the whole way from there to Mananico, you think it's woods, but it's all muck. It's wetlands. And so Judy would never allow us to go because we come just knee deep in mud because you never know what you're walking into. David is saying here, he's saying, you pulled me out of that miry bog. Verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in God. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Can we say that? Can we say that the greatness and the goodness and the God's faithfulness is more than I can? can even tell. 
Think about that. Can, can you sit for, for an hour and just write down all the things that God has done in your life and just talk of his goodness and his greatness? David's saying, they are more than can be told. Okay, verses 6 through 8, this is this messianic passage, this tone here in these verses. So let me explain here. So let's begin reading. In, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Underline that. We're going to come back and dissect that, dissect that in a minute. Burn offerings and sin offerings you have not required. And I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. And if you want to put there in, in, in verses 6 through 8, reference. Hebrews chapter 10 is the verse where it recites Jesus Christ. And that's why this is a messianic verse here, messianic tone here to this passage of Scripture is referring to Jesus. Now I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into verse 6. You see that phrase there, but you have given me an open ear. In the Hebrew that means ears dug out for me. You say that's a little bizarre and weird, but let me explain it to you. Because on the surface, like, okay, David's just saying my ears are open to God's voice. No, it's a little deeper because it's messianic in its, in its tone. It gives this idea, and in, in Exodus 21 and Deuteronomy 15 gives this, this, this picture. In the Old Testament, you are a slave for six years. At your seventh year, you could choose to be free. And you could go, take your family and go, and you're free. Or you could choose to stay and be a bondservant with your master. And so this phrase here, give me an open ear, what would happen was the, the, the slave would take, the, the master would take his slave and his earlobe and put it on the doorpost and they would punch a hole through his ear. So it's like ear piercing of the Old Testament. Punch a ear, punch a hole through your ear and they would put a gold ring in your ear symbolizing that you were a bond servant. You were free, but you have chosen in and of your own will, you chose to stay with this master because you loved him and you want to work for him him. So if we think, thinking messianic, the first verse that comes to my mind is Philippians chapter 2. He became in the form of a what? Servant and was made in the likeness of man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. This is a picture. And what a beautiful place to put this in the middle of a passage of scripture. We're talking about worship. We're on the other side of David and we look back and we see and we know Jesus. He was a servant. He chose to follow the will of his father, to come to earth, to die for humanity, to die for our sins so that we could be redeemed. Aren't you grateful for that? He was the fun. It says there that there's burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Well, in the Old Testament, we know that, that they needed that for sin. But when we think about Jesus, he was the final. There's no more offerings. There's no more sacrifices, is there? It's only Jesus. Only Jesus. You got that all? That's good stuff. That's good stuff. The verse 9, I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. You get what David's saying here? I am continually singing and praising God. Can we say that? I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Church, listen, we, can we can't read David's experience here of deliverance without likening it to our own salvation and freedom from sin. 
all believers, all of us who know Jesus Christ, who've trusted Christ as our Savior. Maybe you're here today, maybe you're listening via Facebook. We believe that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and ask Him to come into our life and to save us and to forgive us of our sins. We are a believer. We are a follower of Jesus. And we long for everyone to make that decision. If God is working in your heart, He's calling you to Himself. But we, have, we were all in the mire of our sin. We were in that pit of destruction. All of us can think back in our life before we came to Christ. We think, yeah, I, I remember. I am so glad that I am standing on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm standing on the finished work of the cross. But if David praised God for a temporary deliverance out of something that was temporary going on in his life, how much more we, as his followers, as Christians, as blood-bought sinners, could praise him for his spiritual and eternal deliverance from the pit of hell? How much more should we praise him? Think about it. Think about what God has done for us through Jesus. Remember, verses 1 through 5 is God, David praising God for all that he has done. So as I was reading this passage of Scripture this, this week, I thought about this. What if we adopted this model of prayer and praise and worship that David gives us in, in Psalms 40? What if we began, before we say anything to God, before we ask for anything from God, we just sit and praise Him. And we thank him for all the things. Like David, look, thank you for pulling me out of the mire. God, thank you. Lord, you are faithful. God, I will proclaim your... Can you imagine how long we would be in worship and prayer? What if we just started asking... Before we started asking God, we started praising him. And right now, if I was to ask you, how are you praising God? What are you thankful for for God? Would you just give one... I'm thankful for this. Or would you be able to just sit and, and, just, and just talk my ear off about all the things God is to you? So this passage, I believe, is three profound elements of worship. Three profound elements of worship. One is celebration. It's our vertical response. Celebration. Believe it or not, when we come together as God's people... As we come Sunday morning, as we gather in our small groups, as we come Wednesday night, as we come corporately and gather, it's to be a celebration. This is our vertical response to God in our worship. David had an experience with the Lord. David realized that God had rescued him and refreshed him. David had an experience with the very presence of God. He was changed. He could not be silent about it. Again, look at verse 3. I'm going I'm I'm to pound this this morning. He put a new song in my mouth. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. See, David was exuberant in song and praise. He was excited. He could not contain his joy. He couldn't contain his happiness. He couldn't contain his relief that God relieved him from. He wanted to shout. He wanted to sing. You understand that the, the book of Psalms is really a song book. It's a song book. In ancient times, this, in, in the early church, this is what they sang from. The word sing is found 70 times in the book of Psalms. Do you notice that David... What kind of song he sang? What was it? It was a new song. 
what that means, it was fresh. It was, there was newness to his encounter and experience with God. It was though that he was seeing God for the very first time. His, his mercies, as he says in Lamentations, are new every morning. Be just like us seeing old faithful and just being mesmerized every time we see it. Is that how we feel when we meet God? Is this how we feel when we came into church this morning? Think about it. How are you celebrating God today in your worship? And all of us have to answer that individually. How are we giving thanks to Him? What are we thanking Him for? Do you consider our gathering together a celebration? Or is it just business as usual? Is it just the mundane, like, yep, yeah, I've been doing this for 43 years, 47 years, 50 years, 60 years, this is what I have to do, and we just did church. Or are you waiting there expecting, like the folks standing at Old Faithful, waiting for that thing to erupt, getting your camera ready? Are you coming to church ready to, to see God work? Not only is this worship to be a celebration, and yeah, I, must, I must say, church, you did a great job keeping in rhythm today on the second song. Very good. I'm proud of you. Number two is proclamation. It's our horizontal response. Proclamation. Again, he says there in verse 3, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. See, David praised God, many saw it. David was not hiding his worship and praise to God. We can see the passage of Scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 6. When the Ark of the Covenant was being brought into Jerusalem, and David, what did David do? David came out and he danced before the Lord in worship. And what did his wife, Michal, say? David... What are you doing, man? You're embarrassing me. How many husbands have heard that statement before, right? <laughs> yeah, I've heard it all the time, right? You're embarrassing me. What are you doing this for? And David, what did he respond? I would become even more undignified than this to worship my God. To worship my God. See, we don't just worship at church. We talked last week about the perpetual life of worship. Everyday life, what you do in your life, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's what you do every... Our, our life is worship. However, when we gather, when the church gathers, guess what? We are a witness to God's goodness and greatness through our worship. When people far from God hear those close to God giving heartfelt praise to God, when they see heartfelt worship as David has seen through his life being seen worshiping God, people are intrigued. Again, it's like wanting to see old faithful. What are they so happy about? Why are they singing these songs? Why are they crying? Why are they clapping? What? I don't understand. Hey, I would love to tell you. See how worship is to be proclamation? See, it's a mystery, it's a wonder, it's a marvel. Why do you enjoy singing these songs to God? Maybe people ask, why does this happen? Hopefully it sparks a fire that God uses to bring them to himself. I think our last response we see here for, through 11, verses 11 through 17 is the idea of confession. It's an inward response, this idea of confession. Let's read through verses 11 through 17 in chapter 40. 
As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. I want us to get understood. You will not restrain. That Hebrew word there, you will not cut off. You will not keep away your mercies from me. I want you to keep that in mind in our lives. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. David is going back now to praising God. Now look at verse 12 here. This is where the tone changes. Now we see David, he's in another place. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. In wickedness, he's saying, is all around. And my iniquities have overtaken me. And I cannot see. Have you ever been in a place in your life where sin encompassed you that you can't even see God? This is where David's at. They are more than the hairs on my head. My heart fails me. Church, understand this. Worship is just not when things are going good and grand and dandy. Worship is not when everything and all the instruments are in tune and everything, everything's jamming. That's not about worship. We can worship God and God longs for us when we are at the lowest part of our life. When sin has encompassed us and we need God to take us out of that pit of destruction. That's when true worship, you as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, this is where we feel God's work in our life. When he pulls us out and we feel the freedom of those things that encompass us. Look at verse 13. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. He's begging, God, help me. Let those be put to shame and disappoint altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delights in my, in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Here he goes, he goes back to praise. I, I love this. a beautiful passage of scripture. As for me, I am poor and needy. David, David puts himself where he is. I am poor. I am needy. But Lord, you, but the Lord takes thought of me underline that passage that that phrase there but the lord takes thought for me you are my help my deliverer do not delay oh my god see david doesn't divulge in what he is going through in his life we kind of have an idea based on what we know of david's life in scripture but the weight of his sin was so great that he was not able to even look up and the number of the sin was more than the hairs on his head. I want us to look at that phrase there, but the Lord takes thought of me. I don't think as believers we, I, I, I know that I do know this, but we truly think about how much God thinks of us. He, it says, the Lord takes thought of you. He takes thought of you. You know that you are on his mind. Do you know that he loves you more than you can ever imagine? No matter what you said, no matter what you did, or where you've, done, where you've been, have we grasped that idea as Christians of who our God is and what he has done for us? He takes thought of us. I love what it says in Romans 5, 8, famous passage of scripture. But God demonstrates. This is, this is, this is NIV translation. God demonstrates, shown by action, he demonstrates his, what, own love, his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we have everything together. 
Not when we clean up our act, but while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to die in our place. Do we grasp that? Do we understand that? I referenced it a little earlier around Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It's never cut off. Never. But, but Pastor, God would never forgive me. I've done his mercies, his loves never cut off. We have to understand that. Here is a beautiful example. David is in the mire of his mess. And he is praising and worshiping a God. I know your mercies will never cease. I know you love me. God, I know you think of me. God, help me. You talk about a worship experience. David met God. So, we can worship God anywhere, anytime, any place. We're, we're focusing on corporately gathering. So how can our worship be a proclamation to those around us? Well, I think people are drawn to God through worship. Would you agree to that? People are drawn to God through worship. God can use anything to draw people to himself. John 6 tells us that God, his Holy Spirit, woos people to himself. God uses whatever to draw him, people to himself. Of course he will use worship. I looked at, look at two groups of people. We have believers and unbelievers. We're going to look at the unbelievers first. Worship attracts individuals like a magnet. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul told the church of Corinth, worship is, is in such a clear way that if an unbeliever entered, he is convicted by all and is judged by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. Jesus said in John 12, that as for me, I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Now, we understand that was a prediction of his death, but the, this communicates volumes to us in our worship. When Jesus is lifted up, in praise and worship, lost people are attracted to him. That's why we pride ourselves, and I say the word pride, not like, hey, look at us. But in our, in our worship, the focus of our worship and our music when is, is the content in which we sing. You can leave our church services with the understanding of where we are theologically and doctrinally in most of all the songs that we sing. And that is what we point people, if it points people to Jesus. It should point people to Jesus. See, verse 3, I believe, is an evangelistic attraction to honest worship. Many will see and fear, and they will put their trust in the Lord. So you thought it was just Pastor Frank's job to evangelize. But it's all of our jobs. Because people will see and hear and want to know because of this God that we worship. I love what it says in Psalms uh, 57, 9. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. That's not talking about the nation of Israel, only the nation of Israel. That's talking about all. See, when God's people experience or encounter the presence of God, when they meet God, it engages hearts. It can change lives, as many of, as all of us here who know Christ know that God has changed our life. See, the world sits up and notices. Maybe you've had some of those conversations with some of your friends 
why do you go to church? What's the big deal? You sing those songs. What are you, what, what, what are you singing about? What are you clapping for? What are you? Have you answered any of those questions? By the way, wouldn't the opposite be equally true as well? What happens when a spiritually distant individual is seen in worship, bored out of their mind? Scowls on your face, yawns, like, oh, I'm just doing my time here, I can't wait to go and get the game, oh, you know. Yeah, I'm worshiping the living God who saved me, who changed me, yeah, but uh, as long as I'm getting personal here, parents, let me talk to you in a moment. What are, your what are your children learning about your demeanor of worship? Do they see the same excitement as you going to church as you have when you get your friends together to watch a football game in your basement? Does the same preparation take place when you come to church? They see the preparation of worship like you prepare when you go on vacation. Or is worship just last minute, let's get to church, let's get this over with so we can finish our day. Children like non-believers are watching. Believe me, they're watching. They are watching. So we can see lost can be attracted to Jesus through worship. How, what, are you, what are you showing in your worship? What are you showing? So unbelievers can be attracted through what we, how we sing, how we act, how we talk about this God who saved us. Two is believers. You're saying, well, wait a minute. Believers, they're Christians, yeah. But there's believers that need to see that old faithful again. To stand in the awe and wonder of that old faithful. I think there's three individual, three, three groups as we look at through the scripture. One is Isaiah. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. You don't need to turn there. Just Isaiah is a person of interest here. I saw the Lord seated on the high and lofty throne, and his robe filled the temple. My eyes, my eyes seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here am I. Send me. Isaiah, after worshiping God, what did he do? Follow God's calling in his life. What do you say? Here am I. Send me. After he encountered God. Look at the disciples. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. This is that passage of scripture where it's the Great Commission. But we all, let's just go back to verse 16 a minute. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him. And then Jesus says, hey, go into the world, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Both of these encounters, what happened first? Before they were commissioned to follow God, what did they do? They worshiped him. What is God calling you to do today? Have you had an encounter with him this morning? Have you come to the presence of worshiping God so you can listen to his voice to see what he wants you to do, how he wants to, for you to proclaim? I think of the early church in Acts 2, 1 through 41. We understand that the Holy Spirit came upon the followers of Jesus with tongues of fire permanently at this moment. Universally, everyone who trusted had the Holy Spirit living within them. They had an encounter with God, and the world was never the same. So I'd like to give you two challenges this morning as you leave here. As you think about coming to worship here on out, number one, come to celebrate. Church should be a time, of, our gathering should be a time of celebration, not about, hey, you got a new car, you got to do No, it should be celebrating God and His goodness, His faithfulness, what He's brought you through. 
I, I see a, uh, Sister Karen back there in the back row. God's faithful. He's healed. Amen? See, that should be, that, that, that's celebration. Not because Karen's here, because God got her here, and God's taking care of her. Right, Karen? We should be excited about that. When things happen, we hear prayer requests. When Pastor Frank sends things out to our small groups, that should be a time. Thank you, God. But what happens? This becomes mundane. Listen, come be ready to celebrate. Hey, how's that going? And you're like, praise God. Just like you were putting on that dumb Eagles jersey or the Sixers jersey, whatever. Be excited about the things of God and what God is doing. Number two, tell others about your experience. David said it. Many will see and fear. The people around you, will they see and fear God? Will they know God because of your worship? I hope so. I love this quote by Garrett Gustafson. It says this, Worship is the goal of evangelism, and evangelism is the fruit of worship. Worship is the goal of evangelism, and evangelism is the fruit of worship. Folks, when we are here and we're worshiping together, we don't know who's sitting in the pews, or the, oh, sorry, pews, the chairs beside us. We don't know who's here. Who is needing Jesus here? And they might be looking around. Man, this place is different. Over here, someone's crying over here when they're singing. I don't understand it. This person's celebrating. This person's happy. What, I need to find out what this is all about. Our worship is contagious. It should be contagious. So being a worshiper means we're also a witness. Be drawn into God's presence this morning. But not only that, leave here being one sent out into the world to live out that worship of the greatness and the goodness and God's faithfulness. Church, the choice is yours. All of us have that choice to make. Will you do it? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, help us as we leave here this, this uh, morning. Lord, we have a lot of homework. I know in my life, a lot of homework uh, to, to work on. And it starts with pre preparation. Before coming into a gathering, preparing my heart, preparing my mind, much just like those individuals sitting looking on that, that guys are old faithful, waiting for it to erupt, waiting to see the all and the wonder of creation. Lord, we long to see the all and wonder of who you are each and every day of our lives, and may we proclaim that. Not only how we live, but out of the mouth, as David did. I will become even more undignified than this, David said, to praise and worship my God. And we have that passion and hunger for you. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. God.